DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Dylan Cauley, former BYU wide receiver, joining us now on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner Smart Rain has an incredible Black Friday offer running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain's given free controllers along with a free Apple iPad to commercial properties who sign up with a paid cellular hosting subscription. Please visit smartrain.net or call 877-346-3333. Dylan, good morning. Morning, fellas. How we doing? Good. The L.A. Memorial Coliseum. Does it still hold a little allure? I know the team that plays in it is four and six. Eh. Going through a coaching change. But is there something about going to the Coliseum that's going to have all the BYU players pumped up, especially the California kids, especially the Southern California kids? Yeah, I, I, still, I still think it has a, a little piece of, you know, uh, a little piece of tradition. I don't think I don't think it has what the Rose Bowl has, you know, playing even even being able to play there. But it still uh, it still should be fun for everybody. Yeah, the way I look at it, Dylan, you got a chance to go two things beyond that that ought to get you jacked up. You got five and zero against the conference, which is way fun, and then you got yeah. ten wins. And obviously, ten is better than nine. I mean, so to go ten and two. You you totally backed up what you did last year. So as I look at this thing, to me, the Coliseum is nice and all, and SC is the brand name. We get that. But I don't think it's going to be a big-time atmosphere. It's going to be, again, probably a ton of BYU fans there. But I think the way I look at it is 5-0 and 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 10-2. Yeah, no, uh, 100%. I don't think that there is a a better close to the season that you could have the opportunity to have um, and really – set yourself up for you know uh, the bowl game and and more importantly depending on what happens this offseason I think uh, going into next season you're, you're you're running with a lot of momentum you say depending on what happens in the offseason you're referring of course to make sure Kalani gets paid the assistants get paid and everything is moving forward getting ready for the big 12 yep 100% you're sweating that a little bit aren't you uh, maybe a little. A little perspiration, even in the 35-degree weather. <laughs> I, you know, I personally, I don't understand it. Uh, you've been in the program. Your family's been in the program for years and years. Uh, and, you know, you serve missions, so you, you can walk to walk because uh, you can talk to talk because you did walk to walk. Uh, and they talk about this program at BYU Sports being a missionary program. And, you know, I've heard stories, so I buy it. Uh, and it's important, and, you're, and, and it's such a high-profile situation here. And here you got somebody in Sataki, a minority guy, no less, uh, for a church that's viewed as primarily white. And why not invest? It's not like you don't have the money. And it's not just about – I'm not just talking about giving him gobs of money. I'm talking about doing what – what needs to be done? Because I had somebody tell me that, hey, we're concerned about making the transition to the Big 12 is going to be tough enough, but if we're going to be underfunded, it's going to be that much harder. So mm-hmm. why not fund it the way it should be funded? Because I think guys like you, media guys like me, and more importantly, Joe Fan or Joe Booster Fan, that's what they want. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And I, and I, to be honest with you, uh. I do genuinely believe that that is what is going to happen. I don't think that there would have been a clear invitation to the Big 12, even at this time, unless there were some 
situations that were maybe promised or if this is even possible, some contractual agreements that basically say, hey, this is what we're bringing to the table, right? We're going to make sure that we are funded. We are going to make sure that we are bringing, you know, our, our piece of the pie to the conference so that you're ensuring that you don't end up like, you know, what could be, and, and I'm not saying this will happen by any means, and I'm not saying that this is even close, but the last thing that you ever want to be to a conference, you don't want to be the Vanderbilt of a conference, right? You don't want to be the one that is so far off in what you're providing your football team and what you're providing the conference that you're almost a hindrance, right? And so, as I say, yeah, I am sweating, and as there is a little perspiration, a little worry, and that's more so probably because I'm a very much a hope for the best, expect the worst type of person. Um, and so, you know, I fully believe in Tom. I fully believe in the athletic administration. I fully believe that Kalani wants to be there. I know that the support staff wants to be there. Um, but I also understand that, you know, this is a, a this is life and, and things happen. And so would I be completely surprised? No. But I do know that Tom and Tom and team are, are doing you know, quite possibly everything that they can to make sure everyone is in place. And those situations are rolling through instead of having us kind of like you're saying, Hey, why wouldn't you make sure everyone is, is taken care of going into this transition? So I guess, well, I don't think anyone has any doubt that Tom knows what needs to be done and wants what needs to be done, but there are multiple layers of bureaucracy and administration to go through, multiple people to sign off on stuff, and anybody who's ever worked in a place with multiple levels of bureaucracy, and PK and I both know this because we've been in other places where it works like this, you know, there's an official way things work, and then there's an unofficial and other people mm-hmm. get to, you know, stick their thumb in the pie before it goes to the Thanksgiving Day table. Yep. And so there's just this nagging fear that it's going to drag on. And college football, as an industry, moves at a freakishly quick pace. In other industries, Dan Mullen doesn't get fired. In other industries, Clay Helton's gone a year before, not week two. Clay's already got another job. This industry moves at a bizarro pace. Is BYU going to get caught off guard because it doesn't move at that pace? I think it could. I think if there is if there is a susceptible program that could get caught at that pace, absolutely. I think what they've done in the last two years, the way that they have moved, um, I think they're in a perfect position to move at the pace that is needed to be successful. Um, but you are looking at a program that very well could be caught in that kind of whirlwind, right? That They, they could get slowed down. Uh, I think what they've done in the last two years, and you look at the little things, you look at what they've done for recruiting, you look at some of the immediate changes that took place even prior to, you know, offense coordinator changes and things like that, and, uh, in, in, you know, adjusting what needed to be done in, in regards to coaching. You look at what needed to be done in regards of, you know, the locker room for recruiting. You look at, you know, what uh, Billy Nixon, who is the player experience and, and equipment manager down at BYU, you look at what he's been able to head up and change, um, you know, to help kind of elevate this new experience at BYU. I think 
everybody is right where they need to be, especially with the help of the basketball and the other programs, right? They're seeing what happens and the success and the notoriety and being kind of that light on the hill that comes when you're investing and putting that money into the football program and the basketball program and the sports programs and doing it at an accelerated uh, rate, you know, probably faster than it has been done in the past. And so normally, yes, that is a worry. That will always be a worry. But from what we've seen the last couple of years, it's going in good shape. Yeah. I sort of believe what you think, too, that they're not going to come this far. And I think somebody has said this, come this far just to come this far. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a funny line, but it's a good line. That you've come this far and you've made, you know, just a few years ago, you had the seven and six stuff and four and nine and things were looking bleak. Well, and we're we're two years removed from that, but now everything is just looking up, man. So you've come, Mm -hmm. you've made major strides here. And and we've seen it in recruiting with kids decommitting from other places or transferring in that were four and five stars and want to be a part of the BYU situation. So basically, man, don't blow it now. And I, I'm on I'm on board with you. I don't necessarily have any proof, but I feel like logic. Maybe it's just logic that's overriding my thought process to think that they are not going to let this thing get away. Yeah. No, I 100 percent agree. Except that a lot of other schools, the coach and the coaching staff would already have the deals, and they'd already be announced. Which is very, very true. Yeah, but I'm, I mean, they still have time. They do. It's it's not like they're up against it right now. And, yeah. and how do we know they don't have a plan and they're just waiting uh, to do what they need to do to go forward here and at their appropriate time? I mean, at the same time, it's a business. Uh, so if you don't have to give somebody more money, why would you give them more money? You know, (laughs) Because it's not like uh, that that we know of anyway, that there's been some offer made or this or that too, but... Because you irritate them and then they just leave. When it's time to give money, by then they've already made up their mind. Something to be said for that. And I think think that depends on the the personality that you're working with. Absolutely. Totally agree. And and genuinely, I don't think Kalani's that guy. Uh... I think if, if I think Kalani, if let's say let's say worst case scenario, there hasn't even been, you know, like there hasn't even been conversation about it, right? Uh, I think Kalani would still is is genuinely a guy that's saying, hey, let's talk about this in a couple of weeks, right? Let's talk about this after USC and before the bowl game. Yeah, you know, and to me that might be like an accelerated rate for him. Um. You know, and that's it. No conversation that's taking place already. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, in between that time, they came to an agreement. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe even after the bowl game, right? They came to an agreement, and and that being, hey, let me not necessarily let me go look at what other options are, but let's uh, let me go see what else is out there in regards to what other people are offering me and seeing my value. Right. What do they think I'm worth? Then I'm going to come back and say, okay, understanding the situation, understanding the program, here's what I feel, here's what I've been offered by other people, and here's what I feel, you know, uh, this is what it's going to be for me to say. And I want to say, so I really need you to hit this number. And I really need you to hit this number for my assistant. 
and I really need you to hit this number for my support staff. That's what I was going to ask you about the assistants here. It's almost like we're resigned to the fact that these assistants get another job offer, they're gone. And I wanted you to speak to the importance of an assistant coaching staff, uh, particularly in football, where they have so much more authority and responsibility is probably a better word uh, than they would do in other sports as assistant coaches. So it seems to me, you know, they've developed a staff here and they need to do what they need to do to keep it rather than, oh, well, you got a higher paying offer at school, fill in the blank. Thanks. See you. Bye. Yeah. I think when you look at the position coaches, right, if you look at someone who is a current position coach in a football program, unless it is in, you know, an SEC school where they've already, chances are, have already had an experience in which they've been an offensive coordinator, they've been a head coach somewhere else, right? But if you look at the staff now, we still have a very, very young position coaching staff that have goals, right? Ultimately, you're being an assistant coach because you want to be a head coach. and You're not going to get hired from being a defensive backs coach or a receivers coach. No one's just going to pick you up and say, okay, congratulations, you're the new head coach, right? I think you have to look at, you know, that conversation is completely different than the conversation that the offensive and defensive coordinators are having because they're the ones that are saying, hey, I'm already an OC. I'm already calling the shots. I can already go in and make, you know, 700000 to to over a mil uh, as an offensive coordinator, and I'd love to be a head coach, but right now this is the situation I want to be in. Whereas the position coaches may say, hey, I can go and make, you know, $400,000 as a head coach at an FCS school, i.e. Betsy Sutake, who I believe, right, already has the experience as an offensive coordinator, already plays a huge role as uh, in the play calling at BYU. I think if he wanted to and go put his name out for either, you know, offensive coordinator jobs at G5 or even head coaching and offensive coordinator jobs in the FCS, He's a considerable, considerable name for those options. And so, you know, as much as he loves Kalani, as much as he loves the program and loves what he's able to do, uh, he's, you know, he's a, he's a pretty damn good football coach and could, could be considered heavily for those options. And I think that'd be something that he'd want to, to look into. So you have any reservations about the game at USC and uh, the way USC has lost uh, four of the last five, what BYU should be able to do, the way they ought to be able to, to move the ball? Because the SC offense will score some points. I think they've proven that even yeah. in losses. Yeah. I think as, as long as the – my only reservation is – time for reservation because you kind of hold them to such a high standard, but – it goes back to the offensive line. It goes back to Tyler Algier. I think the way that they're going to play, uh, they're going to stack the box, right? They're going to go man-to-man on the outside because generally they don't think that BYU has the athletes to play the game, and so they're going to go one-on-one all day long. And uh, I think if, if we do overpower that box and they're able to average four or five yards of carry, uh, it is going to absolutely open up the pass game uh, for for a huge, huge day. 
And so I think as long as we take advantage of that, it should be a it should be a good day. And I hope, I genuinely do, and I love our defense. I love the defensive players, but uh, I I am a I'm a big Jackson Dart fan, and I would love for Jackson to come in and you know have a phenomenal game against BYU. Not that he, not that BYU, you know, did anything to him or he needed to prove everything anything, but uh, it is fun to be able to go and. and put it on a team that, you know, you're close to and have connections to. Dylan Cawley, former BYU wide receiver, joining us right here. Dylan, have a good week. Happy Thanksgiving, and we will talk to you again after the Cougars win their 10th game. Absolutely. Happy Thanksgiving. Dylan Cawley, former BYU wide receiver, joining us every week. So you called it. 20 wins, three losses. Yeah, I got to pick BYU this week. You got to pick BYU too, don't you? I was just telling you earlier this week, I can't believe the spread's only seven. I'm not going to turn around and pick USC now. I didn't think it was that unusual of a spread. I thought it would be 10 or 14. Seems high. Well, if you can't factor in that most sportsbooks will give a home team three points. There is that. And then also, I've, I've. So BYU gets three? Ah, nice. 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 Well done. Well done. Yes. Good job. Every game's a home game. I, I am I am intrigued. I don't want to get caught up in all the attendance smack that goes on and on and on and on and on and on. But I got to admit, I am intrigued. I want to see how much. Yeah, are they really going to put 25,000, 30,000 people in the Coliseum? Cougarville, you're talking about? Yeah. Or, or just overall? Oh, no, I'm talking BYU, BYU fans. BYU fans 25 in the Coliseum. to 30 seems high. It does. But there's a lot of... It's it's a holiday weekend, so it makes Which it could easier. work against you, though. It could, but it could also make it easier to get there. Even after you do your Thanksgiving in Utah, you can travel down there on Friday, go down. You always talk about uh, going to Newport and running into people in BYU hats and shirts and everything, and still have your three-day weekend down in L.A. And there's just so many fans down there, and they're having such a great season. And SC fans have probably flooded the secondary market with cheap tickets because they're not going to games. I mean, that's been clear for a few weeks no, now. Plus, the stadium is massive, so right. tickets are cheap. Yeah. Uh, I, just, I just think it all adds up to this could be <laughs> this could be a big turnout for BYU. Yeah, every time... Uh, the, the stadium is rarely sold out because it's so huge. They've downsized it twice, and it's still huge. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. I, uh, Tim Tessalone, who's been the sports information there for 40 years, he's, he's retiring. Uh, I'd always, he'd always ask me, how many tickets do you want? Well, BYU Utah play there uh, because you know he knew me. I he knew you from the Daily Breeze, yeah, and they have and, tickets. And, and I would bring my wife or yeah. Gordon's wife, and we'd get we'd get tickets. Uh, so they never had any problem there. So yeah, if they want to go, they certainly can go, and it won't be that expensive. But twenty five to thirty seems high. It does. That would be uh, that would be a massive number. Having having gone to BYU San Diego State games for years, ten thousand, I wouldn't even bat an eye. Oh, but yeah, you folks have multiplied massively since then. Nice, you folks. You've been there. very, very fruitful. <laughs> You've kept the commandments. People who used to uh, live uh, near your old stomping grounds, so say a lot of people have moved up here. You know, we got three million people here, not one million for a reason. Oh, the Mormons that have moved up here. Uh-huh. Oh, they're freaking like ants at a picnic, man. <laughs> Jeez, they're all over the place. Hundreds of them, thousands of them, for sure, yeah. Be a lot of Cougar fans. I'll be intrigued to see how many. Well, I, I would love to see that yeah. many, yeah. I just think that with SC's offense, you get a you lose the ball a time or two. I mean, we saw it against Boise. Uh-huh. 
I mean, the number one reason why they lost that ball game was turnovers. Yep. And and SC's offense is certainly capable of putting 35 on you. And if you bleep away three or four possessions... You give their offense a couple of short fields and a little momentum. And you take away your opportunity to yep. score. So, uh, we, if I'm a Cougar fan, I have a, a fair amount of concern about this game. Texans and Titans just reminded us, if you lose the turnover battle by five, you can lose to anybody. Worst team in the AFC just beat the best team in the AFC, and it was five turnovers that did it. So that is always out there. But having said that, USC's lost four of the last five games. They're right for the picking. Yeah, I know, but now they're talking about, hey, we got to win these last two to be bowl eligible. Yeah, you say that, but do they really want to be bowl eligible and practice some more? And it seems like this season is over and they're ready to move on. If they hadn't lost four out of five, they'd be bowl eligible. Well, if they hadn't lost seven games, they'll be bowl eligible. <laughs> I, mean, I understand what the uh, the numbers are there. Thank you for uh, you know straightening that out. But I, I think this is a dangerous game because at the same time, what do they got to lose? They're playing a nationally ranked team. They're the underdog. We're SC. Jackson Dart didn't want to go to BYU, and he went to SC because it's SC. And now he's the underdog against those guys? Yep. And you got a local kid who was recruited by them. They did, in fact, recruit him. And does he want to lose to these dudes? No. No. I hope you're right, man. I, I want to see them get 10 wins. Last team they held under 30 points was Colorado back on October 2nd. Since then, that defense has been a wreck, and that includes Arizona scoring 34 points on them. Which says a lot. It does. It says that BYU is going to score a lot of points in this game. You're right. USC can score too. If they win the turnover battle, they win the game, speaking of BYU. But if they do what they did against Boise. Best win for USC so far in their 4-6 and six season at Washington State. Only team they've... Uh, maybe San Jose does have a winning record now. San Jose was 5-5. Five and five. Did they win and get to 6-5? and five? You're all things Mountain West. Yeah, I know. I lost that one. I don't... You're the Hall of Famer. What the hell do I know? They're 5-6. and six. And apparently you've been a Hall of Famer for like six years. No. Like two. Oh, look at him. I've been a Hall of Famer for two years. Could you ever imagine me saying that, Yach, ever? Ever in your whole freaking life? I can't ever, I can't ever see me provoking you to say that either. Oh, I know, because you are... Uh, bleep, I agree. Bleep you. I agree. Break bleep time. you and the horse you, <laughs> you rode, rode in on. on right now. Run out of air when you say that. That would be the only thing to make it better. No, I got plenty of air left on this subject. When we come back, everything you missed in this show, the Utah Jazz losing at home again. That's already three home losses. We will get to that next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. After dominating Oregon and winning another South Division title, the Utes will wrap up the regular season with a showdown at Rice-Eccles Stadium against Colorado. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Friday at 1 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference. Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
Morant pushes the tempo into the front court, spins around an Adam screen, goes into the body of Whiteside, floats it up and in anyway, and Morant gets the hoop, doesn't get the harm. Pick and roll comes to get Bogdanovich on to Morant. He drives, Gobert cuts him off and blocks the shot. Picked up by O'Neal. O'Neal to the front court. O'Neal going coast to coast, flares to Bogey for a three. Yes! Donovan drives in the lane, off balance, throws to Bogey. Four on the clock, hot corner, step back three. Yes! Boyan Bogdanovich is marvelous. Here comes Morant across half court. Conley guards him. He attacks in the lane. Throws it back out. Jackson for the lead. It's good. 5.7 seconds left. Timeout Jazz. Memphis leads. Morant downhill at Conley to the bucket. Jumps it out. Jackson. Three for the lead. Bring it up. Put three on the board. Oh, what a drive and kick. And the Grizz are up by one. 119-118. What a turn of events in Salt Lake City. <laughs> there are the lowlights as the Utah Jazz lose an absolutely winnable game. It was there for the taking. Time to recap all the stuff we've been talking about in this show. Things you missed over the course of the last three and a half hours is brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air, home to the award-winning line of American Standard Furnaces and Air Conditioners. Call Lee's now for their $59 furnace tune-up special or visit them online at leesheatac.com. They started pulling away in the third quarter. PK got the lead to double digits, and they thought, well, here they go. This is going to be classic. Yeah, kind of trade trade hoops, figure it out in the first half, have a little bit of a lead going to halftime, but solve all the problems and build a comfortable lead in the third. But it got up to 10 or 11, and then instead of pushing to 15 or 20, boom, Memphis came right back and tied it. That was the first sign of trouble. There were more to come. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Got to credit Memphis. They're a young, exciting ball club. Uh, and they look like, I don't know if they'll you know, be a, a serious contender, but they look like they certainly have a playoff future for the next several years. And the Jazz got a little stagnant, man. They've got to clean up some stuff. And it's, it's starting to bug me. This, as you said, four and five in their last nine. Yes. Not nearly good enough. No, no. it's not. Not even close. Mm-hmm. So there are two things that are bugging me. I wonder which one bugs you more. They are giving up a lot of offensive rebounds, 16 more in that game last night, which is six to eight too many. And the turnovers are setting the other team up for easy transition Well, the turnovers to me are the overwhelming uh, number one factor because I don't think that overall they're a good rebounding team. You know, they, they they don't have that second bona fide rebounder in at the same time because they're not playing Whiteside and Gobert together. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be susceptible there. I sort of understood that and thought that that was the way it was going to be. Now you can do things other uh, to, to mitigate it, but the turnover stuff is is bugging me and easy baskets and and jumping in the air. That that that's the turnover that I hear f bombs and from a jerk <laughs> <laughs> and other assorted words that can't yeah. be repeated on the radio. Yeah, when you just jump, you jump in, the in the air for the heck of it, then you get stuck. There's yeah. nowhere to go. You're coming down. You're about to travel, and yeah. you throw it up for grabs. Yeah, yeah. And smart defenders immediately see you go in the air and immediately start closing in the passing lane. Yeah, because you've be got like a half a second before yep. it's a, and you're better off in a lot of circumstances is just coming down with the ball. And At least you get the defense yeah, set. Right. right. Yeah. But then but nobody ever does that. No. And they make a pass that just is stupid because they're forced. Don't jump in the air unless there's a purpose behind it. You know what I mean? He used to hammer that on those guys. You can talk to any U of U guy. It's the same thing with dribbling the ball. 
You just don't dribble it. You're going somewhere. For the, for the heck of dribbling it. Yep. Uh, so there's plenty of stuff to clean up. That's the positive stuff behind this is that, man, they've got a lot of work to do to get where they want to go. And they also have time on their side. 65 games to go. But they are two games behind last year's pace. Last year this time they were kicking into gear with a long winning streak. They had a loss and then another long winning streak. Yeah, I think the one, number one seed, if it's important, is Gonzo. Warriors are 15-2, and two, Suns are 14-3, and three, and the Suns won their 13th straight game. They executed in the final minutes as they blew a double-digit lead, but held it together. Never yeah, they were on it, the road. Never let it get worse than three. I think uh, they were. I mean, San three. Antonio, right? and, and San Antonio isn't as good a team as, good as Memphis. Memphis so. right. But nonetheless, Phoenix did what it took in the final minute to get the win, and the Jazz, for all the ups and downs and mistakes they made over the course of the game, they had a six-point lead right there at the end. And in the final minute, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. had a turnover, gave up multiple offensive rebounds, fouled three times, and sent the Grizzlies to the line. And if we've learned anything from analytics, free throws are a very efficient way to score, and you put them at the line three times. Well, two plus the, stock, the clock stops, and you're yep. looking for the clock to run. Yep. So it's one of these deals. I think they were up six with a minute something to go. Mm-hmm. And basically, okay, all the things that need to go wrong for us to lose this game yeah. went wrong for you to lose that game. Yeah. And I don't go bear. Man, if you're up by two and you're on the you're at home, you know teams are going to be looking for threes. They just assume if they've got a good three, they would take it rather, almost to the point of taking a layup because they don't want to go overtime. They want to close it out right then, and Gobert gets himself in no man's land there. Not close enough to Morant to do anything, but far enough away from Jackson to allow Jackson time to line it up. If you can line up a putt from three, unless you're a total bricklayer, your chances of having that thing go in, I think, go up substantially. So if you stick with a three-point shooter, even if Morant makes the bucket, and he may not, he was not having a great shooting night, there was some. You still have the ball with a chance to win a regulation. Being contested, and if not, you go to overtime. Yeah, and then if Jackson puts the ball on the floor and takes it to the hole, more power to you, JJ. Yeah. Good for you. Uh, but having Gobert having to close out late on a three, I can do that. I don't need to be the de- best defensive player in the world to do that. Because obviously, it had zero effect on Jackson taking the shot and making the shot. They wasted a great night shooting the three from Bogey, who hit two oh, big threes wow. late. He was 7 of 11 from three. Yeah, he had it going on. That second one was just I awesome. know. That was outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> that was really good. First one I expect. The second one, yeah. uh, guys in your face, fade away. You're already up against the sideline as it is. Yep. Jazz bench is right behind you going yeah, nuts. That, that was sweet. And then with a minute 20 to go in the game, they foul three times and give up a three-pointer. Boof. They got to buckle down, man. I don't know what it is, but they that they is basically what was said in the post game by Mike Conley. Conley? Oh yeah. yeah, he's the voice of reason. Yep. This is this is about focus and yeah. attention to detail and getting locked in, and they get locked in, and that's why they go on a run and go up by ten or eleven, right? And then they immediately lose the focus. And Quinn was asked about closing out quarters and basically said the same thing Conley said. Yeah. For sure, yeah. And Rudy acknowledged he, you know, blew it, 
getting sucked into the paint too far on that possession. So they know everything. Don- I know, right. Donovan Mitchell came out and sound, uh, sounded like a kid who'd been scolded by a parent. You know, and he knew it. Like, oh, I got in trouble. I knew it. Dad busted me. Well, that's what I said earlier this morning, that these guys know all the particulars, and they're not much on excuses. Uh, so that's why when they do complain about a ref or what have you, it, it, to me it has a little bit of credence that, because they don't do it yeah, very often. There was a call at the end of the game. Rudy only talked about it because he was asked specifically about it. That was bizarre. It was, <laughs> it was totally bizarre. I see something. No, I don't. Now it's a jump ball, even though you had the ball. And I don't it's frustrating. know what that was about. I mean, don't, that, don't get in the situation where one call can... Yeah, I don't know why they made that. I I still even now why hours after whistle? I don't understand it. Yeah, and I had I've I don't have any uh, official official explanation. Right? Did they didn't give any? There was oh, no, it came out on well. No, was, there was no I don't know that it did. I don't know that I saw the pool thing. I, I saw I didn't the see rule. It. I saw the rule out there. Um, yeah, I got the rule, but I, right. I I don't know why they called what they called. Yeah. I still don't they, understand it. We can go to Secaucus. We can go to Rome. <laughs> I mean, we can go wherever we of, want. I thought of you when Bowler said that. Right? We're going to Secaucus. <laughs> I've been to Secaucus. You have been. It's in Jersey, <laughs> not far from where you grew up. True. Uh, the other thing we talked about Frank Dolce on earlier. You'd insider, uh, and he says. Oregon 1, Oregon State 2, Wazoo 3. Don't put the 7-5 and five team in the conference title game. That's just a chance for America to make fun of the Pac-12 again. Get the ranked Oregon team in there so when the Utes win, they jump in the rankings again, if they win. That's what I want. Win. I want them. I want the Utes to, f- to face ranked teams. Uh, obviously, and, Colorado isn't going to be ranked, but I want the ranked team in the conference title game, and I want it in the Rose Bowl. I would assume, then, that when you get to the Rose Bowl, the Big Ten will be providing a top-ten opponent. They'll have somebody in the, uh, in the unless, playoffs. Unless Ohio State's up 54 to nothing at halftime. That could be a problem. Yeah. But maybe Michigan State wins and moves up. Other teams are going to be losing here. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State loser is going to drop. Uh, yeah, it depends, though. There'll be some upsets. If there's a, a close game. But, I mean, the highest-ranked p- team possible, if you're going to go to the Rose Bowl, uh, you know, get, get as much bang for your buck. Uh, if you win, if you lose, you still went to the Rose Bowl. And at the same time, I believe in this team very much. This team is getting better. I mean, it, that's the great thing about it. No doubt about that. I, mean, I realize the Arizona thing, but, I, you know, I was there. It was, it was hot. It was... It was and you're playing a garbage team, and there's no atmosphere in that stadium. So, and, and you were gonna blow them out until the punt block. And they did what <laughs> they did. Uh, yeah. So actually, you know, I, I think the Arizona game was the best case scenario, though. Got them focused for the Oregon game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. won. They got a scare, but they got a win. Right. And then they come back knowing full darn well. As I, I asked Cam Rising after that game as, as, in, in Tucson. Okay, I mean, you did what you did, but if you play like this next week, you're in trouble. And he, you know, obviously they acknowledged it, and they didn't. They got so focused, they blew the freaking doors off the ducks. And that was a beautiful thing to see. <laughs> DJ and PK, you're up to speed. Your feedback is coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Join Jacob Ben Friday from 10 to noon at the Hot Tub Factory Outlet Black Friday Sale in Draper next to Cowabunga Bay. 12101 Factory Outlet Drive, 121st South. It's Factory Outlet Drive. DJ and PK, it is time for your feedback. 
Greg says the Jazz' lack of effort on the glass and failure to stay in front of their man on defense is beginning to look habitual. Habitual. That's wow. A, that's a good word. That's a big yeah. word for Twitter. Uh, I'm, and I'm with you on the rebounds. I'm a little harder on the rebounds than you are. And if you want to prioritize turnovers over the offensive rebounds, uh, that's fine because the, the the turnovers have set up fast break points that have been an well, issue. Well, I mean, Bogey's never going to turn into a good rebounder. It's never going to happen. Block out your guy. It, chase down long threes. It's never going to happen. I agree it probably isn't, but there's no reason it couldn't. <laughs> And so it bugs not, me because it could happen. He didn't get happen. paid to rebound. It could happen. But the turnovers are the thing that if you're trying to fix the most fixable, that's it. They both seem fixable to me. <laughs> yeah, okay. But they won't be. All of a sudden, uh, Bogdanovich, man, starting tomorrow, I'm going to start calling him Wes Unseld. <laughs> <laughs> That's old school. Wes Unsell was a great rebounder, kids. Wes was. I don't know why I thought of that. Wes was the man. Well, he was when you were a kid. You're on the East Coast. He was. He was elite. Wasn't he an undersized, yeah. tough guy? Yes, he was. Yeah, like six six, playing center against all these seven footers. Yeah, throwing elbows, battling with guys. He'll right. go get that rebound. Okay, I'm going to start calling Bogey Wes. They've got, uh, you look at the rebounds, the guards for the Grizzlies each have four rebounds. And I get that, you know, you don't have a power forward who's going to go out there and get you 10, but go get them. Everybody's getting rebounds. There's a bunch of long rebounds to be had. Go get them. Does the power forward exist anymore? Not really. They just call someone that. I mean, it's four. Do they still? It's four out. They still say power forward. If you look at a box score, they label someone power forward. But to your point, there's four guys on the three-point line and maybe one big guy in the paint. Nobody's playing two guys inside and three out anymore. Wes Unsell averaged 14 boards yeah. in his career. That, he, was, he was elite. I don't know how many times he was an all-star, but that, that dude was top shelf. He was a really good He only player. averaged 10 points. Yeah. Retired at age 34. Young. More feedback. Just heard you say San Bernardino. Where are you? How are you hanging on? That will never not be funny. Matt, just Matt sending that in. Uh, I agree. It'll always be funny, yeah. But I didn't. When did you say San Bernardino? It was in the update with Caleb Hayes, who he's from San Bernardino. Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. Mike's still mad at the refs. The toss on that jump ball last night wasn't all that straight up either. What a Polly Wally crappy finish, really, all around by the crew and the Jazz. Woof! So it was slanted towards, uh, who was it, Jackson? Is he the one who jumped? Uh-huh. I did not notice the yeah, Rudy. Rudy you the could toss. tell by the way Rudy jumped. Rudy jumped to get to it. He jumped across well, the line. You think that it was like a Donaghy? You think it was on the no. take? No. I just think he didn't throw it up straight. <laughs> you throw up a bunch of jump balls and see how perfectly straight they are. There's a reason that, that they've been trying to minimize jump balls in college and pro basketball. They, they often... Are off, and then guys try to sneak the tip well, and all that. Toss it up in the air, yeah. two, three feet. Yeah. Like, just hire long snappers. That's all they do. <laughs> You're right. Actually, that just would be toss good. Toss it up. There should be a designated designated. And then when the upper. team gets the ball, as long as it's not like a fast break deal, you just hold on a second. Who's the? He goes to the sidelines. The other ref comes in. Now we go. Who's the DTU? The designated tosser upper. Yeah. Bring him in. You get a pizza guy doing it. Chuck the pizza in the air. <laughs> All right, DJ and PK. 
That's going to do it for us. Uh, Jazz Foam Finger will give him the blast word. It's November. You guys chill. We don't want to be peaking right now anyway. Well, by definition, I do chill in November. She gets a little colder. All right. On weather humor, that's the end of that. When we come back, we won't be here, and Jake and Ben will be. Next on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.